everyone, it's Krista Bontrager and I'm your tour guide this year as we go through the Bible as part of the Route 66 campaign for Grace Church of Glendora. This is the Points of Interest podcast where we preview this week's reading and get you ready to get into the Word of God. Are you ready? Here we go. Well, it was from Genesis to today. More than four thousand years all the way. George John Dicks on Route 66. Welcome to week 28. The weather is getting warmer, the days are getting longer, and we're right in the middle of the wisdom literature. This week we'll be finishing up Psalm 119, moving on to finish up the book of Psalms, and starting the book of Proverbs. We have a lot to accomplish this week in our podcast as we highlight some points of interest along the way. I wanted to take a few minutes to talk about Psalm 119. I know you started it last week, but since we're going to be finishing it up this week, I wanted to offer a few thoughts about it. Now, Psalm 119 is an alphabetic acrostic. In other words, one letter of the Hebrew alphabet starts the beginning of each stanza of this psalm. There are 22 stanzas, and each stanza consists of eight lines of poetry. And so as you work your way through Psalm 119, you're going to see a little header above each section where it's going to name a different Hebrew letter of the alphabet. And this is kind of a fun little exercise. If you're not familiar with the Hebrew alphabet, you can at least see what the name of each of those Hebrew letters are. Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalit, and you're going to work your way all the way through the Hebrew alphabet. Every child learns their ABCs first. Well, this is the Hebrew ABCs, and it's an acrostic, so each section begins with that letter. Now, of course, this is the longest of all the Psalms. It's 176 verses. Now, most scholars think that Psalm 119 was written after the exile. So that would have been after the Jews returned to the land from Babylon, so somewhere after 500 B.C. And the psalm was really a meditation on God's law. The psalmist is reflecting on different aspects of God's law and the magnificence of the word of God itself. And we're going to notice a lot of different synonyms for God's law. We're going to see words like statutes, testimonies, commandments, judgments, precepts. All of these words are used to describe God's law. Now, many of us today, when we think about God's law, it's hard to imagine a reflection on commandments. We live in a period where we're not so concerned with the minutia of how God wants us to worship and how he wants us to dress and, and all of these things that the ancient Jews would have concerned themselves with. But yet here is this faithful Jew, this psalmist, and he's reflecting on how wonderful and magnificent it is that God has revealed himself to his people and that he delights in obeying God's laws. 
And when you think about it from that point of view, you know, how often do we delight in God's laws? How often do we even try to avoid God's laws? Because we look at them as being oppressive and difficult and too hard for us. And yet here were the ancient Jews and they had many more very specific laws that they had to follow. And this psalmist is just glorying in how wonderful it is that God has revealed himself to his people. And just to highlight a few verses, a few themes that the psalmist touches on in verses 9 and 11, it talks about the power of God's law to keep us from sinning. One of the purposes of the law is to highlight the things that displease God, to warn us of what sins are, to point them out very specifically. Don't do this. He says in verse 11, your word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word of God is there to help us to keep from sinning. Another point that I observe in in verse 63 is that God's word is a worthy test when we're making friends. We want to look for companions who value keeping the laws, the precepts of God. And so when that's a great thing to teach our children, that when you're looking for a friend, look for someone who fears the Lord and who has a desire to obey the law of God. And one more thought. Verse 71 points out that nothing seems to make us more receptive to God than a little adversity in our life. When we have affliction, when we have pain, one of the purposes is to help us to learn from the laws of God, that we may obey him all the more. It's a great psalm. It's such a classic. In some Christian traditions, this psalm is is said daily as you're going through it take some time to meditate on all of the richness that's there in psalm 119 as we transition into the book of proverbs i wanted to offer a few thoughts about how to properly interpret the proverbs now the proverbs again are part of the wisdom literature we've been reading through job and psalms that's also part of this larger cluster of books called the wisdom literature and proverbs we we really arrive at the heart of that group of of wisdom literature books and the proverbs are a grouping of wise sayings mostly in couplets or two lines that often offer guidance to young people think of the book of proverbs as the practical how-to manual that we should be passing on to the next generation. If we want to think about how to educate Christian young people in our youth group, the Proverbs offers that manual. It is rich with the wisdom of the ages, the wisdom of the elderly that we want to pass on to the next generation. Specifically this week, we're going to be starting just in the first six chapters of the book of Proverbs. And that's part of the prologue section of the book as a whole. Chapters 1 to 9 are the first section of the book of Proverbs. And these involve very specific advice for young people. 
Each new lesson in this section begins with an introduction that says something like, listen, my son, to your father's instruction. What we want to challenge our young people to do is to listen to the wisdom of their fathers as they're growing into their teen years, they're growing into adulthood. That's the time to really begin teaching them the lessons of wise living versus foolish living. And that's what we have here in these opening chapters of the book of Proverbs. There's a constant call to instruct young people of where to work and and who to speak to and whom to talk to and and how to accomplish it and how to choose friends well and how to choose a mate well. There's just a wealth of practical, wise information in the book of Proverbs. In these opening chapters, we're introduced to the idea of the contrast of pursuing wisdom versus pursuing foolish living. And if you have that paradigm in your mind as you read these opening chapters of Proverbs, you can begin to see how the author categorizes certain actions. You know, what is the son going to do? Is he going to hang out with the simple ones and the mockers like the foolish? Or is he going to choose to be with the wise people who fear the Lord and and find knowledge of God. And you're going to see the values of those two contrasting worldviews throughout this section as the father tries to instruct his son and warn him of the kind of life that he needs to pursue. You know, there's a common saying in our culture that we learn from our mistakes, that we learn at the school of hard knocks, or we live and learn. The biblical worldview is actually quite different than that. The biblical worldview, the worldview of Proverbs says, learn God's ways and then live. Learn how to live wisely and then make wise decisions. We don't want to learn from the school of hard knocks, the school of pain and suffering. Yes, that is one way of learning. But the truly wise son listens to his father and learns ahead of time how to spot folly and then lives accordingly. Now, a couple more tips about reading the book of Proverbs. In particular, I want to talk about common pitfalls of interpreting them. Now, the Proverbs are written to be very memorable. They're constructed in these couplets so that it's very catchy and you can remember it. And an example of a proverb in our own culture would be like, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's basically a brief expression of a general truth. That's not to say that it's it's stating everything about that truth, but it's providing a general statement of pointing toward a truth. It's not a technical exactness. I mean, we think about the proverb by Ben Franklin there that I just quoted. That's not something that you're going to take to the bank on how to get rich, but it is generally true that when you rest adequately and you get up early and you work hard, that you will live a better life and that you will come out on top. Now, that's not to say that there aren't exceptions to this. It's not a hard and fast rule, but that this is a general truism. Well, that's much like the biblical Proverbs. We shouldn't take them as hard and fast rules. They are not promises. They are statements of things that are generally true, but 
do have some exceptions. So in other words, the Proverbs often talk about particular blessings or rewards or opportunities. And these are the things that are likely to follow if one chooses a wise course of action. But these are not legal guarantees from God about how outcomes will play out. I think one of the most powerful examples of of this is the proverb that train a child in the way he should go, and when he was older, he will not depart from it. I hear that often quoted by, by pastors and, and parents, that as almost as if that's a promise from God to Christian parents, that if they raise their child right, then they will not turn away from their faith. But this is a proverb, not a promise. So we have to be careful not to overinterpret it in such a way that is extremely literalistic. Rather, what the proverb is saying is that in general, it's true that when a child comes from a Christian home and is raised in a godly manner, that they will continue on that path. But we all know that there are exceptions to this. So we want to be very careful when we're using that proverb as a, as a comfort to parents maybe who are struggling with a wayward child. We don't want to quote it to them as if it's a, a promise that they can claim 100%. We have to remember that, that those particular parents are in a very difficult and even painful situation that they're going through with their child. So this proverb is probably not going to be the most comforting to them at that time. So we just have to have a word of caution there about being a little over-literalistic with how we deal with the proverbs. Well, that's all for now. And I know that you're going to enjoy the Proverbs as we get into it more and more this week and the next couple of weeks. There's a lot of great wisdom in in there. And I would challenge you, especially if you have young people at home, to think about going through the Proverbs, maybe together as a family at some point in the future to to read them aloud and to discuss them. This is great material to discuss with children and young people as they're making their decisions in their lives and figuring out what way they're going to go. There's some great foundation here for family devotions. So think along those lines as you read through the material. So I hope you're staying on track. If you get behind, remember, just, just jump in, get caught up and continue the journey with us. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. That's all for now. God bless. Shack and Coliseum, Jerusalem City is mine.